and this is my fifth. Um, Pastor Devin made a comment about the number of times. Uh, fourth time here, and then a few years ago I was at the school. I don't know where that school, anyone remember that school? Uh, I think it was the auditorium. Um, so I preached there and then a couple times here, and uh, I'll be back next week. Um, I'm a pastor in, associate pastor in Orange County, Huntington Beach, uh, so I can't stay for lunch. I think last time I did the same, I, I have to kind of rush afterwards. Uh, I'm an associate pastor there, but I'm also, uh, my wife and I lead a ministry that we've called Remain. Uh, in light of our story, we felt convicted and called a few years ago to start something, to come alongside people in suffering, to encourage them to remain to endure in Christ. And so we want to be intentional to help people prepare for, to process and persevere through suffering, whatever that might look like. And I can share a little bit more about that with you if you want to chit-chat afterwards. Um, my family isn't here this time, uh, but if you don't know me, and this is kind of new for you, so I'm married to Trina, my bride of 15 years, and uh, three boys, uh, the older two, Ezra and Kai, are at home right now with her in Pasadena, uh, and if you remember from last time I was here, our little Isaiah is with Jesus, um, last 10 months now. Um, and so this has been um, a, a year and a half of, of sorrow, deep sorrow and lament, and at the same time, not, not either or, but both, and um, rock-solid hope uh, through the resurrection of Christ. And years ago, the resurrection was just something I would think about, right, on Easter. Um, you know, donuts, bunnies, resurrection. And now I think about resurrection every day. And, and I'm, I'm aching for the return of Christ. So, so if that kind of catches on your radar with where you are right now, if there's time, I, I'd like to just listen to you. If you have your Bible, open up to Isaiah 55. Let me, let me pray for us. And so, Father, I ask that you would come and speak to us. Uh, we believe that you are omnipresent. You, you are everywhere. There's, there's no place that you are not or you, you're, that we can hide from you or you're not aware of or you're not working in. You, you are present. But we know and we believe that you're all the more present among your people as they gather in your name. You're, you're more present in the lives of sinners you've adopted as sons and daughters. There is a, an intimacy, a witness that we can experience with you. And so I'm grateful that you're here in that kind of way. And uh, we, we need you. We, we need uh, a word from you. We need to listen to you. I pray that we would leave here today really sensing that you spoke to us. And that your word may, may it sustain our hearts and our faith this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is fasting? Don't eat. Excuse me? You heard me. It's something about skipping one or several meals. No eating. Why? Eating is good, healthy, important. I'm Armenian. We eat. At an Armenian wedding reception, you have a seven-course meal, four types of kebab, Fasting does not make sense, especially in that kind of culture. So you're telling me that fasting is just not eating the next meal. I'm quite hesitant about that. 
Something doesn't sound right. No eating, but why? What's the purpose? To get closer with God. What? Really? Yeah. You don't eat to get closer with God. Let me get this straight. I want to get closer with God, and one way to get closer with God is to fast. Okay, does anyone else find this confusing? So our passage this morning is from the book of Isaiah for a few reasons. Number one, I love the name Isaiah. Number two, I've been reading and rereading and journaling through the last section of the book for my own personal time with the Lord, 49 to 66 over the last couple months. And so this passage has been brewing on my heart the last few weeks especially. And also because a couple months ago when Pastor Devin mentioned prayer and fasting in the church life, my mind immediately went to this passage and Colossians 1, which we will be in next week. This passage here is about fasting and prayer and intimacy with God. Fasting is not a form of dieting for health reasons. Fasting is not like a hunger strike for political causes. Fasting is known to be abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Saying no to physical food to say yes to spiritual food. Food, uh, sleep, comfort, screen time, games, these are good things. But the Bible warns us that sometimes good things can be bad things when they become ultimate things. Good things are blessings to be received with gratefulness, but good things can quickly be risky and dangerous when they become a must and we can't live without them. Our danger is not simply poison, but the apple pie of the world. Not simply the bad things, but even the good things that end up stuffing our soul to the point that we have no room, we have no desire for what's better. In his book on fasting entitled A Hunger for God, Pastor John Piper said the following, and I think the quote is in your bulletin. He says, if we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied, it's because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Our soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. We fast because our soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. In the parable of the sower, Jesus compares the hearts of the people to different types of soil. He says that some seeds from the sower fell among thorns. They grew, got choked, and yielded nothing. Who does this represent? Mark 4.18, they are those who heard the, war, the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for things enter in and choke the word and proves it unfruitful. The danger here are the good things that provide comfort and satisfaction but can choke our soul. Consider this. Our days are surrounded by Amazon and DoorDash and Apple Watches and Instagram and Netflix and Instacart. At any point, we can order whatever we need, and it'll be at our front door by tomorrow or in an hour. This reminds me, I think it was the last time I was preaching, we were outside with coffee and donuts, and this cooler, this, this food cooler started rolling by on wheels. And I'm like, I don't know what's, what, where am I? And 
It had wheels and it was maneuvering around the sidewalk. And I said, please explain, someone help me. And they said it was a food delivery service. I don't, maybe it's familiar. And I said, I don't, I can't compute. And they said, yeah, there's someone in the office with a remote control, they're delivering food to whoever has ordered. How crazy is that? We can order dinner or purchase groceries that can be delivered to our door through a person or a remote control cooler. We're completely connected to the world through Instagram. We get any updates and notifications on our wristwatch. And on top of that, we have access to thousands of TV shows and movies without end. We live in a world of instant gratification. We have run out of needs. What? We have all that we need at our fingertips. We don't have to wait or ask or trust. We just order. And things are getting faster and faster as if to save our time for more important things. But we are so caught up in this that we don't know how to slow down. We don't know how to breathe. We don't know how to pursue things that are seemingly more important. So we save our time to do the same stuff. All the stuff around us is leaving us choked. Good things can become bad things when they become ultimate things. Good things can really hurt our relationship with God. They can keep us from learning to live with God. Do you struggle to have a growing awareness of God? Do you know what it means to give God all your attention to be with him? We are complicated creatures. We have our external lives, our internal lives, body also, soul and spirit. And so when we are continually full and satisfied and entertained and busy and exhausted and stressed and stuffed, well, our spiritual lives are not not affected. This can leave us spiritually numb and indifferent and sluggish. It is hard to get on our knees when our chair is reclined and our feet are up. It is hard to hear God when we're bombarded with noise, continuously distracted. It is hard to quietly sit before God when we're perpetually busy. What we need is a ruthless elimination of hurry, which is a good book for a title. It is hard to be mindful of God, to reflect on the word of God, to remember the past grace of God, when we're drowning in what are good things. This is where fasting comes in. Fasting creates an awareness of how good things have become too much. To see how good things are hurting us. We abstain from food and other things to wake up. Because there's more. Fasting is not depriving and starving our souls, but about redirecting our souls to feast on God instead. Fasting from physical so that we can feast on the spiritual. Fasting is feasting on God. Maybe what we need is to fast, to say no, to pull away, to deprive ourselves briefly from what might be good. Fasting is the abstaining from anything which is legitimate and overall good for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. And we see this throughout scripture. Some years ago, I surveyed a number of references to fasting to kind of figure out, well, what is this about? When do people fast? What's the point? And I noticed a few things. God's people would fast to 
Seek God's guidance and express their humble submission to him. Seek guidance, express submission. Moses, upon receiving the law, Israel before battle, Ezra during his leadership after exile, Paul and Barnabas before ministry. Okay? Seek God's guidance. Number two, God's people would fast to confess and repent of individual or corporate sins. Consider Samuel, Elijah, and Nehemiah. And three, I was noticing that God's people would fast as a form of mourning over tragedy or in the midst of some crisis. And we see that in the Old Testament. But fasting also can be a loud wake-up call to the good things that are choking us as well. You slam on the brakes and the idols and addictions of our hearts slam on the dashboard. Fasting is a wake-up call. When we say no, things start coming to the surface. Fasting reveals what's been controlling us. Skip the meal, cancel the subscription, unplug and turn off, avoid the path that brings the most ease and comfort, and something just feels off. You think differently. You become more aware, more alert, maybe more than before. There's more to this than just physical fasting. What is it? Spiritual feasting. Fasting from food can be a time of spiritual gluttony. Abstaining from one to consume the other. Our hunger for food shifts to a hunger for God. And that is a great place to be. Take note, I'm quite encouraged to hear that you as a church are taking this season to just focus on this withness with God. The time of prayer and feasting. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that if God is going to bring a season of revival in the church, it's probably not going to be when the church is the most casual, indifferent, lazy, comfortable. I, I have a feeling that if we re-rewind, and, and revival is step 10. Step one is probably God's people praying. So I think you intentionally pursuing that is a good place to be. So we say no to one thing to say yes to what's better. We, it's not about depriving myself, but it's about redirecting my soul to God. Look at the next quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. He says this, we're far too easily pleased. Are you far too easily pleased with good things? Are, you, are your desires for God too weak? Fasting might be the wake-up call that we're just playing with mud pies, and what we need instead is to turn our hearts to this holiday at the sea. Maybe we ought to fast more often as a church to be convinced, convicted about what we're turning to for strength, satisfaction, sustenance, and instead, and instead to turn to God for all this. So fasting is to say no to good things, to say yes to the better. What is better? Let's consider Isaiah 55. In 1 to 7, we see what's better. Is this real? Can we really trust this offer? Yes, because 8 to 13 gives us assurance. So 1 to 7, we see what's better. We're fasting for the better. 
8 to 13 gives us assurance. So we'll see the reality and the assurance of what's better. And I pray that this passage will urge you to consider fasting more regularly. To say no, to say yes. Follow with me, starting with verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread, or your labor for which does not satisfy? So are you bloated and stuffed and sluggish and drowsy with food and drink and good things? Fasting turns our attention from the physical to the spiritual reality, from caring for our physical needs to caring for our spiritual needs. Here God is offering water and milk and wine. He says this is good and delightful and satisfying. Why? Verse 3, so that our souls will live. What an offer. According to this passage, this this offer of a truly of truly good is for two types of people. Number one, those who are weak and needy, desperate, bankrupt, thirsty, without water, broken, begging. Is that you? Are you waking up to the reality of how needy we are for God? Second group of people. This is for you if you are self-sufficient, or at least you think so. Such people are working, laboring, spending, buying, accumulating, consuming. Verse 2 describes a person who is not needy, but has the money, however, is not a very smart shopper. They lack spiritual discernment, and so they're spending on what they have, on what will not ultimately satisfy. They end up perpetually frustrated. While the first is at the end of their rope, this person is not. This cup is full, but it has a leak. So why, why, why spend on bread that won't satisfy. Stop for a moment. Think about this for the sake of your soul. Because God has an offer for you. God has an offer for us. A gracious invitation for those broken and exhausted people. Come to the waters. You don't have money? Fine. Price is paid. Just come. Collect what you need. Imagine walking to your favorite restaurant. That one place that you wouldn't mind going to several nights a week for dinner. Just really, really good food. You walk in there, and there are two lines in front of you. One to order, second is for pickup. But as you enter Isaiah 55, there's no order line. All you have is the pickup line. The order has already been placed. The bill has been paid. You walk up and give your name, and the package is handed to you. The receipt is stapled, but you didn't make the purchase. You go and you pick up, come, buy without money. That's what we're doing. We receive freely. We're invited to eat and drink and be satisfied. It costs nothing. It costs Christ everything. And so come, let us get water and wine and milk. Just like water, God offers us something to refresh and restore us. Just like milk, God offers us something that builds us and strengthens us. He keeps us stable and constant in the mundane days of life, not just refresh us on the mountaintop experiences. Just like wine, God offers to exhilarate, a cause for joyful celebration. The good in your life, even the things that you would consider great, well, they are not enough. All else is short-lived and at times shallow and boring. Nothing compares to what God is offering. 
His offer is real. His offer is nourishing. His offer is satisfying. All else is rubbish. All else has mold. All else fails. But God is offering real, long-lasting, ongoing, absolutely free, soil, soul-delighting, life-giving food and drink. This is what Jesus is giving us. End of verse 2. Delight yourselves in rich food. But the NIV makes it sound more like a promise. Your soul will delight in rich food. Accept this offer so that your soul may live. The Christian life, friends, is not a theory. It's an experience. Faith is like eating. Jesus promised in John 6, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. If we eat and drink of Jesus, we'll have a vibrant, unending life. Faith is not, I know that, I'm sure that's good, I'll just check it off, fine, I'll download that. Faith is just taking all of Jesus in like food and drink. This life is guaranteed by the Lord, who is faithful both in making and keeping his covenants. Let me summarize verses 3 to 5 with the following. For those of you assuming that you're failing in the Christian life, trying to juggle all the items on your spiritual to-do list with a nagging fear of God's favor just shutting down on you, listen. From Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses to David, God has covenanted himself to his people. The promise that keeps coming up is, I will be your God, you will be my people. Covenants that all point to and find final fulfillment in Jesus, who inaugurated a new covenant so that you would personally know the Lord and have a new heart for the Lord and walk in obedience to the Lord. And remember what God promised David, that from this line would come a king whose rule would be overall for all time. A promise of universal rule and an enduring kingdom. And so these new covenant blessings, all of this from Isaiah 55, all the goodness of this unending kingdom will always be ours because Jesus will always be our king. Nothing can stand in his way. Nothing and no one will dethrone him. For he died and broke all evil, rose again in victory, and his rule will be extended to the nations all over. According to verse 5, far-off nations, unreached peoples will be drawn to King Jesus. For he is not only the king from the line of David, but in these chapters in the second half of Isaiah, we see this emphasis that he is a light to the Gentiles, so that God's salvation might reach the ends of the earth. God has glorified this Jesus. God will extend his kingdom through Jesus. The gospel will advance in an unstoppable manner by the power of Jesus. And so water and milk and wine, that kind that will really replenish and restore, the kind that will satisfy and sustain good for us and gladness upon us, this is real. This is really ours in Christ. Because the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God said so. We fast to say no to good things, to say yes to the better. What is the better? This, Isaiah 55, 1-3 makes that clear. How can we sign up? Where's the QR code I can scan to get this? How do we get there? Let's consider the passage once more. There are about 12 commands. 
Because this is not simply an invitation, but a spiritual obligation. The king is calling. Come. Come. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. How do you buy? By listening and accepting. Three times he says this. Listen. Give ear. Hear me. You who are spiritually bankrupt, buy, buy this that costs no money. If you're just thinking, if you're considering, if you're just analyzing from a distance, no, come over, buy and eat, take this in, accept it, receive this. Coming to God is like listening to the word of God. Verse two, listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Listen carefully, literally, listen listeningly. But how? How do we listen if we're stuffed and bloated with good things? Maybe this is the why, why we should fast. Verse 3, incline your ear, come to me here that your soul may live here and live. Receive and have life. And so what if we do something crazy like commit to regular daily time in the word for reflection. What if we go all out and memorize scripture and pray through scripture together? What if we let go of our excuses and eagerly gather Sundays with open Bibles, open hearts to receive what God has for us? What if we turn to God in the word, in prayer, more often than we check our phone? What if we let go of our perpetual desire for entertainment and instead get on our knees for a spiritual revival. This offer is for everyone who is thirsty. This offer is truly satisfying and life-giving. This offer has some conditions. We ought to come to God, hear his word with a repentant heart. This is utterly essential, completely urgent. Look at verses 6 and 7. 6 and 7, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. We're to come completely. We're to come immediately while he is still near. Because this offer won't last forever. Today, Today is the day of salvation. Who knows what's coming up tomorrow? And so what are we waiting for? What excuses are we offering again? He is inviting us to come. He is inviting you personally to come. What does this look like? It, it means to seek, call, forsake, turn. Stop dragging our feet and be serious about this. You might be filling up your backpack with a lot of good things. But if you're going to run after Christ, that's going to be heavy and it's going to slow you down. Wake up to the idols you have been spending too much on. The addictions that have trapped you. The worldly pleasures that have left you frustrated. We cannot push to the circumference what God has placed in the center of the circle. What do you need to repent and abstain from to keep God in the center of the circle. Let's stop counting the dollars and pennies of what this is all going to cost us in following Jesus. Let's sign the blank check and just give this to the Lord. He wants 
and is worthy of our all. So let's come to him right now. He is near, it says, ready to hear you, ready to receive you. Seeking includes repenting, a turning of our mind that's displayed with a turning of our ways. So we do a 180 U-turn in our hearts, and that changes our lives, both our thoughts and our ways. Look at verse 7. Have we done this? Have we repented of our ways? Have we sought the Lord with our whole heart? What is holding us back from receiving that offer? So let's come with repentance, and he will come with mercy. Verse 7, he will abundantly pardon. Other translations say he will multiply forgiveness. He will forgive generously. He will lavish with forgiveness. Truly, whatever promises for supposed happiness that sin offers is merely a trap. Just sorry telemarketing trying to scam you spiritually. Avoid and abstain. Instead, come to the Lord so that your soul will live. This is the better. This is the better that's offered for those in Christ. This is the better that we fast for. The better that we need to remember and rejoice in and rest in and be refreshed by. But can we trust this? This is the offer. Can we trust that this is real? We can trust because of how God thinks. How does he think? His thoughts are different. His thoughts are higher. We might assume this offer is too good to be true. We might second guess his heart. We might say that we're not worthy. We have a hard time sorting out this stuff about grace. We still think in terms of deserving and being good enough, but that's not how God thinks. How does God think? Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are of the earth, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So as the heavens are immeasurably, immensely higher than the earth, God's ways and works are still far, far higher and above all our own. Psalm 145 says his greatness is unsearchable. His grace leaves us dizzy with joy forever. We just can't figure out why a holy God would save foolish sinners with such lavish mercy and abundant grace. But that's how God thinks. We can trust this because of how God thinks and because of how God speaks. Look at how he speaks. 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to be empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. Our state is known for its deserts and drought. There has been a rare phenomenon over the last few years called the super bloom, right? After a season of heavy rain, there's this burst of wild flowers blanketing the desert region with bright yellow and orange colors. This happened in 2017, it happened in 2019, we saw it earlier this year after all the rain. So when you see rain, you know flowers are coming, of course. Or consider local farmers who are heavily dependent on rain for their work and livelihood. They will, know, they will not doubt that a wonderful harvest is coming after a rainy, heavy, rainy season. 
So such farmers don't anxiously pace around the room during a thunderstorm wondering if the harvest is coming. They know when there's rain, there's harvest. Of course, it's simple. And all the more we can trust that if the word is given, there will surely be a harvest. There will be fruitfulness. God's word cannot not bring life. This is the word that we're invited to diligently listen to in verse 2. To incline our ear to in verse 3. We can be sure of this. Our daily readings, your, your midweek gatherings, the Tuesday fast, the Sunday morning gatherings, the kids ministry, the regular preaching, this will not be empty. When the word goes forth, harvest is coming. Isaiah 46 to 8. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, what does it say? Stands forever. It is his word. It will be effective. It will accomplish his purpose. Consider the first person pronouns in these verses. My words, my mouth, will be successful regarding why I sent it. He himself will do this. The same life-giving power of the Word of God in creation is the same life-giving Word of God in Scripture. Do you see that? More than anyone else, God loves His Word. And we can be sure that this is eternal, all-powerful, this faithful God who's promised that His Word will not be fruitless. He will accomplish all of His plans. Another translation says, accomplish all that He desires. In light of this, Let's gather and pray that they, that all of us would experience the better that God has in Isaiah 55. So as we fast, as we say no, as we say yes to what's better, can we trust that this offer is real? Yes, because his thoughts are higher. His words are fruitful, finally, because his works are like nothing else. Because of the way God works. Look at the last few verses. Verse 12 to 13. This is crazy. You don't need coffee. This will wake you up. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name of the Lord. An everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Hmm. God promised David that a king from his throne will rule over all for all time. Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies. Jesus is the king whose rule has no boundaries nor end. We live with an awareness that his kingdom is here already, but with a longing for his kingdom to come. What do we pray earlier before in that prayer group? May your kingdom come, right? He is here. His kingdom is here, but we're waiting. We're praying for his kingdom to come. His kingdom that will reach the ends of the earth. People of every nation, tongue, and tribe will gather around his throne. Beyond that, all of creation will be made anew. Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and the new earth. We know this already. In Christ, we have the indwelling of the Spirit who brings the first fruits of what's to come. So fasting brings with it a hunger. Not just for bread, but beyond that, for Jesus, our true living bread. 
For in him we are given grace that we don't deserve. Our story, friends, starts with unbearable hunger and incredible need, but it will end with an entourage leading us with joy and peace, abundant happiness, complete shalom. By the way, this is not a fairy tale. This is reality in Christ. Do you believe that? And all creation will one day burst into a flash mob of celebration. Not a flash mob of what seems to be strangers singing the hallelujah chorus of the food court in the mall during Christmas, but of mountains and hills and trees bursting forth with jubilant singing. Not what do you expect? We still talk about deserving because we can't sort out how grace and mercy work. We know what we deserve, but God refuses to work like that. His thoughts are higher. We deserve thorns and briars, but for those who repent from their evil ways, says that God promises evergreens. We shall go out from here with a complete assurance of the waters of salvation offered to us through the gospel without cost. At the same time, we shall go with a deep longing for the future restoration of all things. All this in the name of the Lord. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And so, I encourage you to fast and pray. Because if we're full, satisfied, bloated, stuffed, preoccupied, distracted, entertained with things around us, our souls will have neither room nor desire to consider what's better. The invitation to be refreshed, nourished, overjoyed with spiritual blessings from God is for those who come thirsty and needy, who come with their whole hearts, open ears, and real repentance. All with this assurance that God is God. His thoughts are so far higher. His plans far more effective. His words far more transformative. His works far more abounding with grace to the undeserving. Praise to his holy name. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord as I invite Pastor Devin up to lead us in some prayer. Father, none of this makes sense. This, this kind of an offer, why you would offer this, and how you offer this, and what you're offering is a little bit beyond us. But we, may we not doubt this. As we see in the second half of this, this chapter, this assurance, may we not doubt this. May we know that this is really for us in Christ. And may we just run with this. In Jesus' name.